Well, happy Sabbath, boys and girls, on this gray Sabbath day. But we've got sunshine in our hearts, I can tell, because you have smiles on your faces. That's proof enough for me. I have something in my pocket that is an invention. I think a, com- I think a company in California invented this. I have it right here in my pocket. Right here, because they invented a, a, a special piece that is able to forecast the weather. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could just, if the weathermen always got it right, you're planning a picnic on Sabbath and they said it's going to be sunny and then it rains. I mean, well, why don't you get it right? Well, a company in California has come out with a new invention. You can get it right with this one. I have it right here in my hands. Can you see it? Ooh, this is a very special ribbon. This is not just any old ribbon. See all the colors on it? This is a very special ribbon. Can you see the ribbon? I hold it here in my hands. The company says this ribbon can forecast the weather. Whoa, how can that be? That's what I wondered. I wondered the same thing. What? But here's what you do. I have the instructions right here. Yep, that's what this company says. Number one, what you've got to do with this. Can you see it? What you have to do with this, number one, is you have to hang it outside your window. So do you have a house? you have an apartment? Okay, so outside the window. You can put it right on the wall. Bang it up. But make sure that Daddy puts it outside the window. Can't be inside. Has to be outside. All right. Put it outside the window, and then instruction number two: check daily. Check daily. That means take a look at it. If you go and look at it, and here are their instructions: if you look at it and you see that the ribbon is wet, it's raining. That's what it means. If it's wet, it's raining. If you look out the window and the ribbon is stiff, that means it's freezing. It's cold out there. If you look at the window, no, really, truly, this is how it works. If you look out the window and the ribbon is white, all the colors are gone, that means it's snowing. If you go out and you look and the ribbon is going like this. If the ribbon is going like this, it's windy. windy. How would you know? That's right. And if you go out and the ribbon is faded, it's sunny outside. But if you go out and the ribbon is missing, it's been ripped off. See, that's what it means. Somebody stole it. You, can you believe that? You can predict, you can forecast the weather, any weather, with just a little ribbon. So make sure you go home and ask Daddy or Mommy, put that ribbon out, and let's start forecasting the weather. Oh, don't you wish we could forecast the future that way? Oh, I wish we could know what's coming. Wait a minute, wait a minute. There's a per- Did we have this verse as a memory verse? Let me see. Second Chronicles 20, 20. Believe in the Lord your God and so shall you prosper. Believe in His prophets and so shall you be established. Wait a minute. There are people who can know what's coming. Oh, the Bible says, believe, believe, believe. That little weather, that little weather invention has been placed by God so that we can know. We don't have to be caught totally by surprise. That's why there are prophets in the Bible. Prophetesses too, by the way. Yep. Whoa. I don't want to be caught by surprise. I'm glad Jesus gave us something to forecast what's coming down the road. How many want to say thank you, Jesus, for giving us something to know, to forecast? 
Thank you, Jesus, for being the greatest forecaster of all. Oh, we are so thankful. Let's pray to Jesus. Jesus, thank you for not leaving us in the storm. Thank you for not leaving us in the dark. All alone, we don't know what's coming. You gave your word so that we can know. Make us all boys and girls and moms and dads, those who know. And because we know, give us that sense of peace in our hearts because the future is in your hands. We pray in your name. Amen. Don't you wish weather forecasting could be that simple? Tack up a ribbon. You can know. Don't you wish forecasting the times in which we are living today could be that simple? Maybe. Maybe. Maybe it's not beyond the pale of possibility for you and me. Let's pray together. Oh God, as we launch a new journey today, teach us. Teach us, we pray, that we might know what you would have us to know. And that in the journey yet ahead, we might be secure. In Jesus' name, Amen. Once upon a time, there was an ancient tribe that had the uncanny ability to forecast the times. Yep. And the more I ponder their giftedness, the more I find myself longing for God to raise up such a generation in our nation today, to raise up such a generation in our denomination today. A generation entrusted with the gift of forecasting the times. Open your Bible with me, please, to the first book of Chronicles. Don't go to that book very often, do we? First Chronicles chapter 12 as we launch a new mini-series today. First Chronicles chapter 12. Let me give you the setting as we're finding it together. David has vanquished, finally vanquished his enemies. King Saul is dead. And now in this chapter, one by one, the tribes of Israel cast their allegiance to the new young monarch-to-be. First Chronicles chapter 12. Be page 285 in your pew Bible. This is, a, this is a line you can't miss. So if you didn't bring a Bible, grab that pew Bible in front of you, please. First Chronicles chapter 12. Finding it with you. And let's begin in verse 23. First Chronicles 12, verse 23. Now these, I'll be in the New King James, by the way. That's the same translation as our pew Bible. Now these were the numbers of the divisions. All right, these are the armies that were equipped for war and came to David at Hebron to turn over the kingdom of Saul to him according to the word of the Lord. It's time now. The young monarch to be is to take office. Drop down to verse 38. All these men of war who could keep ranks came to Hebron with a loyal heart to make David king over all Israel. And all the rest of Israel were of one mind to make David king. Now, between those bookends, the tribes are all listed. One by one by one. I mean, you have Judah there. You see Judah in 24, Simeon in 25, Levi. We got Benjamin. You got Benjamin down in 29. But one of the tribes has an ID marker 
that distinguishes it from all the other tribes. And that's the tribe that has captured my attention. And I wish to share it with you. Verse 32. And of the tribe of Issachar. All right. Of the sons of Issachar. Of the sons of Issachar who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Their chiefs were 200 and all their brothers were at their command. Did you catch that? The tribe of Issachar is identified by a single marker. They understood the times and knew what Israel ought to do. Let me repeat that. They understood the times and knew what Israel ought to do. It's called the Issachar factor. Would to God that we had a generation in this nation, a generation in this denomination, gifted with the Issachar factor, divinely equipped to read the tea leaves of our times. And from that analytical discernment to be divinely enabled to recommend a strategic response for the community of faith to the times in which we're living. The Issachar factor. And before some of you quickly say, you know what, that's just not my spiritual gift. I'll never have that gift. I want to put a pause on that. As we will note in just a moment, this gift is available for the asking. So don't write it off. Don't say, not me. No, you. The Issachar factor. In fact, Let's jot it down right now. Ushers, would you make sure that everybody here gets that study guide to begin this new mini-series? Hold your hand up if you didn't get a study guide today or five of you came in with one bulletin. You'll want the study guide as well. Hold your hand up all the way to the balcony. Those of you listening on the radio, watching on television, we want you to have the same study guide. Let me give you our website. Put it on the screen for you. You see it there. This is the new mini-series, The Issachar Factor. You see beneath that title, Part 1. This is Part 1. There are four parts to this. Go to our website, please, www.pmchurch.tv. You'll see the Issachar Factor now uh, advertised on that website. And you click on there to part one, it'll say study guide. You, you'll then have uh, the same, the identical study guide we have right now. So without any further ado, let's get into it. What is this Issachar Factor? Would you jot it down, please, in your study guide? To understand the times... And know what we ought to do. Make sure, please, you get the reference, because I left it out of the study guide. First Chronicles 12:32. Make sure you jot that down as well. I'll give you a little extra time here, because uh, you need to jot that down. To understand the times and know what we ought to do. First Chronicles 12:32. Now, here's another way to express it. Jot this one down too. To be divinely equipped to read the times. And divinely enabled to recommend the response. Keep it up there, please. To be divinely equipped to read the times and divinely enabled to recommend the response. It's the Issachar factor. Which, by the way, is the identical factor Christ Himself called for in those who choose to follow Him. Let's go to the New Testament. Here it is in the New Testament. from From the lips of our Lord Himself. The Gospel of Luke. St. Luke chapter 12. Let's read together, please. Verse 54. What's the page number? Page number 702. Luke 12. We'll pick it up in verse 54. If you have a red letter Bible, these words are all red. Christ is speaking. Let's take a look at this. Luke 12, verse 54. And Jesus said to the multitudes, Whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately you say, A shower is coming. And so it is. Jesus didn't live in Michigan, but He knew. That there's a prevailing west to easterly wind always, almost always. If you see a cloud coming from Lake Michigan, you know we got rain coming. 
Jesus says, you know this. You've lived in Michigan long enough. You know. Oh, and by the way, if you live in California, verse 55, and when you see the south wind blow, you say, oh, there will be hot weather. And there is. Called the Santa Ana winds where my mother lives. The Santa Ana winds. I mean, dry and hot. Oh, you know, you know it's going to be hot. Ah, Jesus goes on, verse 56, hypocrites. Ooh. You can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it you do not discern this time? I mean, come on, I'm so proud of you, Jesus says. Great at weather forecasting. Why don't you exercise the same discerning prowess for the times in which you live? Why don't you have the Issachar factor? Now, I want you to notice the parallel in the synoptics would be uh, Matthew. Go back to Matthew because there's a slight uh, variation that Matthew provides in Matthew chapter 16. So just turn a few pages back to Matthew 16. Pick it up in verse 1. Then the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that would be the two dominant religious parties within the community of faith then. Then, this is Matthew 16, verse 1. Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came and testing Jesus asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. Jesus said, all right, you want a sign? Verse, verse 2, he answered and said to them, when it is evening. Notice the different meteorological uh, markers that the uh, synoptics very. Jesus says, when it's evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, verse three, you say it will be foul weather today for the sky is red and threatening. Hey, listen, I grew up. My dad taught me that from knee high to a grasshopper. Red skies at night. Sailors delight. Red skies in the morning. Sailors take warning. Jesus says, you know that it's been true on the planet from the beginning. Hypocrites, he goes on now, notice this, hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. Greater reading the signs of the skies, why can't you read the signs of the times? Oh my. Please know clearly in both synoptic passages, Jesus is calling for the exercise of the Issachar factor. Number one, you must discern the times. And number two, and you must decide the response. Write it down. We can call this the Jesus factor, I suppose, to discern the times and to decide the response. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? If the Issachar and Jesus factor were exercised today, what would we discern about the times? I wonder what we would discern. Hmm? May I suggest to you that a proper reading of the tea leaves of these times would indicate that we are in the throes of a global pandemic. A pandemic depicted on the cover of this magazine. This is dated two days yet in the future. But I hold the uh, current issue of Newsweek magazine. Can, can you see it there? Get my hands off of that. There we go. You see the headline there, cover story, Fear and the Flu, the New Age of Pandemics. Now, I need to tell you that the pandemic that Newsweek is trying to draw our attention to is the flu. But the pandemic I'm trying to draw your attention to is the fear. I mean, can you believe it? This story about the swine flu H1N1 outbreak is a classic manifestation of the media's almost, and I'm asserting that word so that I get off the hook with anybody who tries to nail me, almost, the media's almost unconscionable overhype of a story. You can't believe it. Please, three weeks ago, you would have thought that the human race was about to be ravaged from the face of this earth by a new strain of swine, avian, human flu. 
I mean, Mexico goes on red alert. The United States nearly pushes the hyper-panic button. Entire school districts in our country are shut down. Egypt slaughters 300,000 pigs. Nobody misses them. The World Health Organization hastily arranges a news conference to now announce that we are at pandemic level four, one short of, of the global level five. I mean, the country goes berserk. Sales of surgical masks and rubber gloves and thermoflu medications soar. All for what? As of Wednesday, that, as of this Wednesday, we, there have been 3,352 confirmed cases of H1N1. And as of Friday, that would be yesterday, four deaths. We are sad for all four deaths. But do you understand that every single year, every flu season, 36,000 people quietly die without even a whimper from the news media? Four have died and we're on national alert. <laughs> Either they panicked or they manipulated us. And our human tendency to panic, and the headline went into overdrive. I read about a judge, an Italian judge, whose cough cleared a panicking courtroom when he told the lawyers, I just got back from Mexico. (laughs) They're quoting one of the lawyers. This is 30 attorneys in Rome told Judge Giovanni Barisi that they were boycotting the court, adjourning their cases because of fear of swine flu. Now, one lawyer said, I quote, the judge coughed a few times. I don't know if it was from the flu or he was just clearing his throat. But then he said he'd come back from Mexico. I've never seen so many lawyers agree on anything in court so quickly. <laughs> Word God. By the way, the judge, the judge is in quarantine right now. Can you believe it? Uh, Listen, my purpose, ladies and gentlemen, is not to minimize a serious health threat. I understand that. I'm married to a nurse. Everything has to be septic in our home. When you come, wear your gloves, please. So I understand the, the nature of disease. But please, this is an overreaction. Now, George, uh, George Friedman from the Stratford organization, which is a private organization that does, that does analysis of current trends and provides security analyses to those who pay $400 a year for it, and I do not, has written a piece on the swine flu. He says, listen, it's nothing. But then he makes this point, and I suppose we ought to re- remember it. Should a disease arise, however, in the future, that is as deadly as HIV, all right, that spreads through casual contact, about which there is little knowledge, this disease, and for which there is no cure, the medical capabilities of humanity would be virtually useless. You can understand, if the real thing were the real thing, there's nothing we can do. That's Stratford's point. But my point is, the pandemic, and jot this down please, the pandemic this earth needs to fear more than the swine flu is fear itself. I believe there was a president in the history of the United States that said the only thing we had to fear is fear itself. Roosevelt's right. Fear. I mean, we have become a a civilization on the jittery edge of who knows what. I suppose sociologists and psychologists, when one day they do a a post-mortem on this generation, will probably point to uh, September 11, 2001 as the trigger. Since that day, two wars, a handful of natural disasters, and an uncertain economy later, we're not only a nation, we are a world caught in the grip of fear. And the deal about fear is this. It is a self-fulfilling prophecy. It just, it creates itself, if you think of it. Exhibit A, the wild gyrations of Wall Street's volatility are linked to the single human emotion of fear. 
Exhibit B, get this. The Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life released a study three weeks ago. CNN reported on this study with this headline. I'll read it to you. The more often Americans go to church. Could you, can you believe this? The more often Americans go to church, the more likely they are to support the torture of suspected terrorists, according to a new survey. More than half of people who attend services at least once a week. That would be you and me. 54% said the use of torture against suspected terrorists is often or sometimes justified. If it will make me safe, go ahead and do it. Only 42% of people who seldom or never go to services agreed, according to the Pew Forum. Now, that, catch the next sentence. White evangelical Protestants were the religious group most likely to say torture is often or sometimes justified. More than 6 in 10 supported it. People unaffiliated with any religious organization, least likely 4 out of 10. Can you believe that? Because of fear. Church-going America leads the nation in saying we can have torture. It's okay to torture people. Ladies and gentlemen, what is wrong with this picture? Fear. That's what's wrong. We're afraid. To save me, you can do that to him. Isn't that sad? Oh, my. What's all this have to do with the Issachar factor? Plenty. Plenty. Just read what Jesus preached psychoanalysis of the generation just before he returns. Kathy read it with us just a moment ago. Let's go back to it. Just uh, where are we in Matthew right now? So last text, let's look up. Uh, this be Luke 21. Look at this. Jesus said, I'll tell, you what the, I'll tell you what the psyche will be like just before I come. Luke 21, uh, verse 25. And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. Now, here comes verse 26. Men's hearts, people's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. I don't know what it is, but something's coming. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Would you jot that down, please? I like the TNIV rendering of this. People will faint from terror. People will faint from terror apprehensive of what is coming on the world. Fear of terrorism. Fear of the flu. Pandemics. Fear of immigrants. Fear of a meltdown economically. Fear of my neighbor. It's just fear. Pandemic. Jot it down. Christ predicts a global pandemic of fear just before He returns. The Issachar and Jesus factor quietly admonishes us to discern the signs of the times. But not only to discern, we must decide. Based on what we discern, we must, we must respond. And that's why Jesus goes on. Verse 27, Then, see, in this pandemic of fear, then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Verse 28, Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Please note, ladies and gentlemen, people who are discouraged hang their heads. People who are afraid wring their hands. This is not the posture Jesus is describing here. He says, come on, put that chin up. Hold your chin up. Lift up your eyes. Take a, po take a posture of confidence and courage. Jot it down. The Issachar factor teaches us that the pandemic of fear is to be met by the posture of hope. You don't have to be afraid. We have hope. We got hope. Please. The Issachar and Jesus factor is for a people who are not only gifted to discern the times, but also decide the response. 
So how would you like the gift? How would you like the gift of discernment that the Issachar factor represents? Wouldn't you like to have that gift? I would like to have that gift. Let me end now with seven ways to get the gifts. Jot these down. Seven. These are from the Scripture. Seven of them. Number one, pray for discernment. You can pray for it. You can actually ask for this gift. So I was in prayer last night, just thinking about today and the journey ahead for all of us. I said, God, I've got to have this gift. He said, you, you, you can't pray for this. Oh, yes, you can. Uh, John 16, verse uh, 13. Let's put it on the screen, please. However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, Jesus says, He will guide you into all truth. Next. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, this is the Holy Spirit, He will speak. And now notice this line. I find great solace in this line. He will tell you things to come. You will be told. You will be given a discernment. There's another verse. I didn't put it in the study guide, so you're going to need to jot this down. But it came to me last night as I was in prayer. Jeremiah 33, 3. Jot this down. This is a great text. Look at this. Call to me, God says, and I will answer you. And I will show you great and hidden things which you do not know. God says, you ask me. Ask me for the gift of discernment. I will give it to you. I will tell you what others do not see. I will give you the Issachar factor. Number two, study the Word. Look at this, uh, Psalm 119. The entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding. By the way, that's, that's the same word for Issachar. They had understanding to know the times. Identical Hebrew word. Understanding to the simple. It's in the Word of God. You can't just go reading the newspaper. The newspaper will not give you discernment. Stratford will not give you discernment. Not the kind you need. You're going to have to get it in the Word. Number three, jot it down, please. Believe the prophets. Believe the prophets. There's something very interesting about this tribe of Issachar. I want to show you something. Let me put it on the screen for you. Judges 15, Judges 5, rather, verse 15. And the princes of Issachar, this is previous to the uh, First Chronicles. And the princes of Issachar were, were with Deborah. They aligned themselves with Deborah. Do you know who Deborah was? Who was Deborah? She was a prophetess. She was a prophetess. The leaders of Issachar, who have this gift of discernment, knew, align yourself with the prophetess. It would be a sign of wisdom in an age of darkness to align yourself with the gift of prophecy. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 20, quoted it with the children's story just a moment ago. Can we put it on the screen? There you go. Believe in the Lord your God and you shall be established. Believe His prophets. Believe the prophets and you will prosper. If I were the enemy, listen to me carefully, if I were the enemy, I would do all in my power to keep people from believing the prophetess or the prophets, Deborah or anybody else. Because the story in Judges 5 is some did not believe and they did not align themselves. Those on the side of right and light did. And in the end, they're the ones that won the great victory over the enemy. You have to align yourself. It's a wise strategy. All right. Oh, by the way, this is a New Testament point. Put it up, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. And so, the New Testament tells us we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. The Issachar factor. The, the divine inability to discern the times and decide the response. It's predicated on a trust in God's prophets. The journey is much darker and the deception is much stronger for those who ignore the light that God still shines upon this earth. These prescient words were written a century ago. Put them on the screen. I think you have them in your study guide. The present is a time of overwhelming interest 
to all living. Rulers and statesmen, men who occupy positions of trust and authority, thinking men and women of all classes, have their attention fixed upon the events taking place about us. They are watching the strained, restless relations that exist among the nations. They observe the intensity that is taking possession of every earthly element and they recognize that something great and decisive is about to take place, that the world is on the verge of a stupendous crisis. End quote. Number four, avoid all date setting. Please, be careful. Acts 1.7, let's read that. And he said, Jesus said to them, just before he ascended, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in His own authority. Now let me just put Matthew 24 up real quickly with it. Matthew 24, 42. Watch therefore, Jesus says, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. You do not know. Avoid all date setting. But as you avoid that, please keep in mind this prescient observation also from a century ago. Great changes are soon to take place in our world and the final movements will be rapid. Don't, don't get caught in the reverse trap. Uh, it's going to take a long time for all of this to happen. Be very careful. Number five, jot it down. Maintain a healthy caution. I think this is important in this uh, strategy to seek the gift of discernment. Avoid dogmatic prognostications and those who insist on them. And I got this from Ecclesiastes 11, verse 6. I like this principle. Uh, In the morning, the, the wisest man on earth wrote, Sow your seed. In the evening, do not withhold your hand, for you do not know. You do not know which will prosper, either this or that, or whether both alike will be good. You can't know. We just can't know. Is it this way? Is it that way? There's some things you're just going to have. You, you must maintain a healthy caution, a healthy skepticism, a healthy tentativeness. I'm amazed at the dogmatic scenarios and apocalyptic predictions that abound in the Internet and flourish. I get hard copies sent to me. Oh, pastor, read this. I have a new idea. I get that all the time. Healthy caution. Don't bite Every hook that comes along, there are some outcomes we simply cannot predict or foresee. Number six, keep your focus on God. You look to God. And finally, number seven, testify to your hope. I love 1 Peter 3.15. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Come on. Give a reason. Why, why, why? Look at Matthew 24.14. One more text. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. I was out in California this last weekend visiting my mother and uh, out there for the wedding of my nephew, my brother Greg's son, Vaughn, who's also a pastor. And uh, on my mother's coffee table, I found John Pauline's new book, Armageddon. So I read it over the weekend. Happened to bump into John. actually looked him up on Monday. Told him I was going to buy the book when I got back here. Bought it yesterday at the APC. I want to tell you something. John has done some very careful study and reflection on the apocalypse. And I found the book for me impressive, informative, and for me inspiring. John maintains in the book a healthy tentativeness even with his own research and conclusions, though his scholarship is solid. But one point he reiterates, and this stuck with me, one point he reiterates is that no matter how the end game is deciphered in Revelation, Christ makes it clear that the everlasting gospel must go to every nation, kindred, tribe, tongue, and people before the return. I.e., 
the Issachar factor of discerning the times must lead us to the Issachar factor of determining the response. And Jesus is unequivocal. In response to the nearness of my return, I'm telling you, I'm commanding you, as Russell preached to us the other day, as your CEO, I'm commanding you go to the world. You go now. Go to all the world. I mean, you think about this. This just this boggles the mind. The surest of all the signs that Jesus is soon to return is the one sign, the only sign that is left in the hands of Christ's followers. That's the only one that, that you and I have any part in achieving. Namely, telling the world, our little worlds, the good news about Jesus. I mean, you name for me one more calming antidote to this generation of pandemic fear than the simple truth about Jesus. He died for me. I can live without guilt. He died for me. I can live without guilt. I don't have to drink my guilt away. I don't have to drug my guilt away. I don't have to dance my guilt away. I I, I now live without guilt. He's forgiven me. Number one, He died for me. Number two, He rose for me. You know what that means? I have nothing to fear. If you have conquered death, you have conquered the ultimate human fear. What can any man do to me that the Son of Man cannot undo for me? He died for me. I live without guilt. He rose for me. I live without fear. And He's coming for me. I live with hope. Not hope in a president. Not hope in a congress. Not hope in Wall Street. No, I live in the hope of one who says, Behold, I will come again. Wow. The only one I know in this universe who can have the last word. No matter what happens to this nation, no matter what happens to this world, no matter what anyone happens to say, we have, hallelujah, we have, have this hope.